All Things Unexplained, hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Previously on All Things Unexplained. One account from the article, and Daniel appreciate this, this was actually relayed onto the show Coast to Coast AM. And I'm going to use this as a segue in a second. Dane has some good uh, history with Coast to Coast AM. But this, this fella, and he only went by the name, and it was actually on a Coast to Coast AM episode, July 15, 2016, a man who only called himself Gene. And he was claimed he was hunting for elk early in the morning on a border town around Arizona. And of course, we hear a lot of UFO activity coming out of that area. And at some point, some wild horses came thr- thundering through. And Gene, the hunter, ended up at the top of a cliff area. And he could sense something was stalking him, right? And he got down from there and noticed a stereotypical Bigfoot at the top of this cliff area. Way up there, he says, the Bigfoot jumps down from the cliff and must have been 150 to 200 yards away. It hurls an eight-pound or so rock at Gene. So he's telling George Norrie this from Coast to Coast AM. He said, you know, the thing was huge. It would have killed him with the rock if the rock had ended up hitting him. And he actually lines him up in the scope and aims down the scope, gets a shot off, and hits the Bigfoot, okay? To make matters more fascinating, the Bigfoot takes a couple of steps and disappears into thin air. So Gene gets down there. There's large footprints no blood or anything, and just but besides the footprints, no trace, no trace whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Had he, did he take pictures of the footprints or anything? Or, um, I mean, was this no, semi recent? Or is this a it's July 15, 2016? I don't think cell phones had been invented at that point, <laughs> 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 at least not on the Arizona Mexico mm. border. Well, it's a heck of a story. I mean, those are, uh, you know, it can leave a lot of doubt, but uh, if that's the story, it's, you know, hard to uh, debate with it a lot. Um, so he was trying to kill it, though. Huh? He just, he saw Bigfoot and says, I'm going to shoot it. Oh, yeah. He probably saw dollar signs. So I read that there. article, and he said he did not want, at first, he had no intention of shooting the Bigfoot, that there was no threat. There was no reason to do so. It wasn't until this, huge thing through this eight pound rock 150 yards at him and nearly missed that he turned around and, and took a shot oh so that justified it okay huh yeah that kind of 
makes yeah. self-defense we'll call that. it um said he and he said he hit it so he, he did um, hit it but it phased huh. on out of there you know got phased up into the mothership or somewhere or stepped into a portal and a lot of people do say well okay we do have all these cell phones right where why are all the pictures fuzzy why are they all grainy but you know, even if it is a leap of logic, that would explain to some degree if Bigfoot is an interdimensional portal traveling alien, why he is so hard to catch on camera. I mean, that would explain it. No. <laughs> um, although, if he is caught on camera, I mean, does he have some type of, you know, radiation around him that diffracts light a little bit? You know, why you can't get a, a clear picture. Or back to the cloaking. Um, this makes me wonder, and That's I don't right. know why I'm thinking about this, but do you think more people believe in Bigfoot or in aliens? Or I suppose in this case, one in the same. <laughs> I think aliens. Yeah, I'm, I'm myself more of a Bigfoot skeptic. Um, but, uh, you know, open-minded about it uh and I'm, I'm definitely a lot more open to the possibility of aliens and i think i hold uh, a lot of people's opinion on that so in all of your time uh, out on the reservation growing up riding horses growing up outdoors no bigfoot sightings for you no none for me uh yeah no bigfoot sightings and actually so on the reservation the blackfeet reservation the tail there um and there's Hundreds of people through the years, and this has gone on through, uh, like you know, Blackfeet calligraphy, um, painted on old teepees, and onto traditional storytelling. But their figure is Goat Man. Oh, and he's like a half goat, half man, who lives more in the prairie, um, but has horns, and uh, and it's big. Uh, I actually have a a Facebook site. I think it's it's called something like reservation creatures i'll need to bring that up um and uh anyways and a lot of people in that area they know about goat man there's all kinds of tales of them i mean some believe it started as you know grandmothers having you know make sure their grandkids are in on yes. time uh, because goat man will get them um but there's been people saying that hey you know they heard they were in their trailer and the wind was blowing and it was 20 below zero and it was half a blizzard and they heard something walking on the roof and they went up and they saw a goat man look at him and jump off the back and, um, you know, take off. And then they'd found dead calves or sheep the next morning that had been eaten on. Um, when, you know, all the bears were hibernating and it didn't look like it could have been a wolf or a coyote. Um, you know, so that's a, a, a version of, uh, chupacabra or a Sasquatch or a Yeti, you know, um, that, has now gone on for several generations. Um, I don't think they've found Goatman's body yet <laughs> or, um, or any of the Goatman people. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't thought of that if it's just one Goatman or if it's, you know, a uh, actual species. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that about the grandmas possibly being the ones to 
pass this along because I'll never forget. This was a couple years ago now. I was taking my two daughters at the time to a music class and I would help the teacher at the end clean everything up. And so that meant that my two kids were sort of left to their own devices as I helped to clean. And trust me, if I ever leave them to their own devices, it does not go well. So at one point, my daughter is standing on a chair facing backwards. It's about to tip over. And I'm in the presence of company, so I'm trying to remain a calm, cool, collected mom. And I'm telling my daughter, okay, you need to get down. That's not safe. Please get off the chair. Come down off the chair. You know, none of it's working. Meanwhile, my blood pressure is rising and I'm starting to sweat and wanting my child to behave and also not wanting to curse at my two-year-old in front of strangers. And so next thing I know, the music teacher says to me, you know, in the Native American culture, they don't give their children a reason to get off the chair. They just use scare tactics. So she turns to my two-year-old and looks her dead in the eyes and says, if you want to get off of that chair, a monster is going to come out of it and is just going to eat you. And my child got off that chair faster than you have ever seen her move in her entire life. And I had a moment of like, oh my gosh, is this where all of these things come from? It's just parents trying to scare their kids. Like, if you're not back before dark, Bigfoot's going to get you. <laughs> i tell you what, I would have yeah. been out of That's terrifying. So I accidentally might have used it on a friend's kid later that week, and she had to leave the party. She was so scared. Whoops. So if you think about it, she was basically saying, Bigfoot will come out of a portal in that chair. Yeah. And get your yes, kids. Exactly. So I'm I'm Take pretty excited. <laughs> <mothership. laughs> it makes sense. I'm pretty ecstatic to see friend of the show, former guest What's Connor up, Flynn Connor? is with us tonight. What's up, y'all? I recognize that Bigfoot behind him. It, well, Dane, you can, I don't can you see his comment there? Is that a Bigfoot or a black bear back there? I'm pretty sure that's a Bigfoot. Yeah, I I mean yeah, that's that's pretty pronounced there, so so I thought Connor would appreciate some of our topics tonight, and Connor actually will be appearing on one of our New Year's Eve top guest countdowns here pretty soon. I'm not going to spoil it for him, but pretty soon. And he says, Bigfoot and Portal's perfect timing, going to be on Spaced Out Radio tonight at midnight. Oh, cool. No way. We, Connor, if you, if you can tell us how to tune into that, I'd appreciate you putting it up on the screen. I'll add it to the show. And we're speaking to special guest Dane Beck, adventurer, outdoorsman, man of many tales. And CJ, you heard me mention from the article that came out this week, Bizarre Cases of Bigfoot and Portals to Other Dimensions, written by Brent Swanser in Mysterious Universe, that there was a, one of the cases was Gene, who called in to our good buddy George Norrie at Coast to Coast AM. Some of our listeners know that our production company, Coma Toast Tacos, is a perfect anagram of Coast to Coast AM. And Dane himself has some really, is a fan of Coast to Coast AM. Is that right, Dane? You had some childhood memories? Well, abs- absolutely. I've got a lot of childhood memories. Uh, so my grandmother, uh, she's actually my stepmom's mom, but she was my grandma. I called her nanny, but uh, Lenora Sandoni. And Lenora Sentovich was her name. And she was a uh, fascinating woman, uh, Sicilian descent. Um, and uh, at my dad's ranch, 
uh, for several years, she would come up in the summertime and stay and help uh, my stepmom and uh, my dad around the ranch. Um, and she was she was kind of a dreamer uh, and a drifter. At one point, she had her whole family in a bus, and uh, they traveled across uh, the United States and into British Columbia, panning for gold. They sold the bus at one point and ended up in Naples, Florida, I think in the 60s. And her and uh, her husband, my grandpa Tony, had a stone crab boat. And uh, they all, you know, they were all stone crabbers for quite a while. And But she was a diehard um, coast to coast, uh, you know, um, AM radio lover. And so one summer at our ranch, she came up in her Subaru and we had plenty of room, had a bedroom, everything for her, but she wanted to sleep in the <laughs> Subaru. And she, she had it all decked out with a mattress in the back and little curtains. Um, and as I've said, the ranch is pretty remote, so you don't really get any radio stations. They don't come in clear at all. But uh, so we parked in this area with this tree and uh, I must have been 10, 11 years old. And once in a while, I'd camp out in the Subaru with her. And I feel like Coast to Coast would start up around midnight at that time. And uh, we actually wrapped wire around her car antenna <laughs> um, and ran it up into a tree branch and had this big like tinfoil bulb on the end to improve the, uh, you know, improve <laughs> the like radio. Tim's current car. And uh, sometimes I'd fall asleep. Yeah, and she would wake me up, um, you know, at midnight, and we and we'd listen. And uh, she loved Art Bell, loved him to death. I mean, she she was a religious listener of his, probably as long as he was uh, doing radio. Um, and then, of course, George Norrie. So w we had a lot of these discussions growing up. And um, you know, and if you went to the library with her, I mean, she was going to the UFO section. Yeah. So I got. I got versed pretty well through her at a young age. Um, and, you know, some people thought she was a little out there, but, uh, I mean, she was the most fun grandma you could <laughs> Sounds <have>. like it. <laughs> she sounds amazing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Former guest Connor Flynn, speaking of Coast Coast AM and great radio shows, says he's going to be on Spaced Out Radio tonight. I encourage all of our listeners to tune in at midnight tonight. I'm sure that'll be on demand afterwards as well hosted by dave scott i guarantee you cj can attest to this if you listen to a connor flynn interview you'll never you forget never it. forget it Ooh, he's got lots right. of ideas lots of knowledge on all kinds of things it's actually really incredible i don't know how he holds it all in his brain. yes um but before we start, but so is our yes. guest tonight so before we started the show, Dane, you were telling me a little bit about some of your um, fishing experience, and you would have to be out in the you know great, vast, wide open with the skies above you and nothing else while doing that. Tell us a little bit about that time, and did you have any UFO sightings, any crazy experiences while you're out there? Well, I worked uh, about 13, 14 years um, offshore. I'd uh, spent a lot of years on tugboats. I spent a lot of years commercial fishing, um, six years in Alaska, not full years. I'd be there be like May to October. Um, but basically all that time spent offshore, you know, a lot of times within sight of land. And I did some stuff um, deep offshore too, where, you know, you were days from seeing land. Um, one particular season, I was actually on an albacore boat, uh, started in the North Pacific. Um, and, uh, this boat was called the seven daughters. It was an old Gulf shrimp boat. Uh, looked about like the Forrest Gump boat, the Jenny. 
It was called the Seven Daughters, and uh, it had been converted into a high seas tuna troller. Well, the captain of the boat at the time, his name was Paul House, and I've looked him up and everything since then. This would have been, I think, about oh seven, and uh, I I can't find him. And he was one of those dudes who he literally spent ten year or ten months out of the year on the huh. vessel, and he'd take you know one or two months off, and he'd go to like <gasps> Thailand with a lot of money and probably spend a you know five hundred a thousand dollars a day, and who knows what he did? We probably right. don't want to know. Um, but, uh, on, on the boat, I mean, he was just made, he was, uh, you know, he was a fisherman. He was a seaman. Um, he was kind of definitely a rough character, definitely a little crazy, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, knew the ocean, new birds, new fish. I mean, that's what he did. And in, you know, certain genres of life, he was a rock star. He was a legend. Um, and he was a big ufo conspirator and i don't necessarily i want to use the word conspirator he was he was just a big uh big fan very educated very knowledgeable um of ufos um and he supposedly had countless sightings now this particular boat that he was on they were always when they're on the fishing grounds they could have been 200 miles from shore up to 2000 miles from shore and it's what you do and they'd be chasing albacore tuna fish um, and so in the summer months, it'd be in the North Pacific around the 45th parallel. And as it turned winter, it gets just too rough to fish. And then the schools break up. So then you take the boat to the South Pacific to the same, to the 45th in the South. Um, you know, so that's, you know, one end of the globe to the other. And so his big theory or he not theory, I mean, he witnessed with his own eyes was lots of when you're fishing the, the, the albacore schools can be really large but there's also skipjack tuna fish and these schools sometimes can be like two miles in diameter and these are big fish these are 10 to 25 pounds and just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them when they're breaking the surface on a nice day and there's birds and there's you know all the bait fish there and they're hitting the bait fish i mean it's it's a uh, spectacle and he'd said he'd seen uh, your classic flying saucers come out of the water, go over to the schools, hover above the schools, and suck the skipjack tuna fish right what? out of the water. So I'm just decimate these schools, and and he had a lot of stories on it. I mean, um, I, I know the little library he had on that book, it or on on that boat, it had a you know a lot of random books, but there was probably 25 different you know, UFO related books. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'd educated himself. And uh, I mean, I didn't really have a reason to lie, especially to us, you know, who just worked right. for him. Uh, and if he was drinking or whatever, it was at some point pretty quickly, it was, you know, going to get into the UFO tales. Um, and he could be pretty tough one to work with. So some guys would just kind of roll, roll their eyes just because it, it was coming from him. They didn't want to hear the stories anymore. So anyways, so my personal experience, um, <clears throat> stop me if this carries on too long. I'll try to condense it a little bit. I do ha- I do want to interject to a real Dane before you yeah. tell us your personal experience. So when Dane first told me about his captain's theory of the UFOs following the schools of fish and, s- and seeing them suck the fish up into the UFO, I tell you what, I was it blew my mind. I thought this is an epic story I have never heard this sort of ufo information relayed before and it's so wild that 
it just it has to be accurate you know what i mean (laughs) well and this guy was a pretty credible guy and nobody was more credible um at fishing i mean really nobody in all the fleets um in fishing you know deep offshore albacore tuna fish and when i say offshore like i said i mean there was so for example i'd gotten on the boat at one point in the north pacific and the weather had gotten really bad and we couldn't we we're in the columbia river which is a giant river most of you probably know it you know separates oregon and washington we were in astoria oregon and we'd just gotten hit with like two or three weeks of just horrendous weather. And we had to get the boat to the South Pacific. And finally, one day, they're like, okay, batten everything down, tie everything down, we're going. And when we merged from the Columbia River into the Pacific, it was erupting. Um, and we just, we had to go straight west for about three straight days before we could even start mm-hmm. going south. And our destination was Pongo Pongo, American Samoa. Uh, the island's called Tutuila. Um, and so we were in, you know, rough, bad, tough weather. And, uh, we finally started making our way south and went past Mexico, past Hawaii, past the equator. Um, so at this point, you know, it'd probably been 20 some odd days, um, without even seeing a light in the sky from an airplane. I mean, we didn't see another boat. I didn't see a piece of trash in the water, just birds, fish, and that was it. Um, so, and we used to go in watches when we were just running the boat, you know, we'd have like four hour watches where you would be at the wheel and you'd be watching an autopilot and you have to do little adjustments and a degree starboard, a degree port, you know, wind, current, whatever can throw you off your course a little bit. And, uh, I believe ever, I was like 4am to 8am. I think when I had my watch every day, but, uh, I was asleep in my bunk around, uh, one or two a.m. and the guy who was at the only guy awake who was um at the wheel. His name was Michael Girona. Uh, he was a Filipino guy, and uh, he woke me up. He said, "Hey, Danny, come look at this." So you know, we'd already heard lots of UFO tales from Captain Paul House. So I go with uh Michael to the to the wheelhouse, and he's like, "Look up there," and we're just south of the equator. Um, you know, it's I mean, it's there's there's nothing out there, but it's a it's a starry night. But hovering, it looked like 400 yards above us was just this. I would say like a rotating ball of lights, you know, green, red, kind of halogen colored lights had a hue, and it was like rotating, like uh, like you know, almost like like blinking Christmas lights mm-hmm. would, kind of in a rhythm, and but basically just hovering, and um you know that's all we could really see was the lights couldn't see uh really an outline of a structure um it was dark out but we watched it and watched it and watched it i mean probably for 30 or 40 really? minutes and um yeah and and it didn't uh didn't move um you know it looked like it was just you know hovering uh from what we could tell you know it it's hard like it for all we know maybe it was three miles away but it sure seemed like it was less than half a mile it seemed pretty dang close the lights were just bright and large um and we just couldn't make anything out beyond that um but the the remarkable thing is that it was just holding its position um and uh we had the captain take a look at it and he just shrugged his head and said oh yeah i see him all the time (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and you know, my initial thing was like, well, is it a weather balloon? Is that no, a weather, you know, you'd see movement in a weather balloon, um, you know, and it looked too large to be a weather balloon. Um, you know, I mean, it would, unless it was like a hot air balloon sized balloon, but you know, all we saw were the lights. Um, and it was so remote. I mean, we're, I, I think that the next body of water that we passed was a small French islands called uh, Kiribati. So, it, you know, we weren't, I mean, we were thousands of miles from any type of air force base. Um, you can see everything on the radar and also on the ship trackers where ships were. And I mean, we were in as remote of an area as you could possibly be mm. on the planet earth. And when you look at remote countries, all the South Pacific countries, are all like the most remote. You know, they're the farthest from another body of land. They're the farthest from a continent, you know. And uh, so we were out there. So it just, you know, it wasn't like, I don't know, somebody's homemade right. aircraft off the coast or something. Um, and it had to be, you know, just to, to maintain its position and just the amount of electricity to put off the light that it did. Um, but uh, so that, 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 you know, so I would say that was my UFO sighting. Was there any sound? No sound. Nope. I mean, you know, also we had the, uh, we didn't cut the boat off. You know, we had the, the engines going um, on the boat, which, so, you know, if we were to cut it and it was silent and there's still the, you know, kind of the lapping of the ocean right. that you could hear, um, you know, so no, no yeah, no, no sound. Um, was the boat moving? Not really anything, just big, the boat were, was so moving. And so did it yeah. seem like it was moving with you or was it stationary and you were moving with no it? i don't think so no I, we were moving towards okay. it um and uh yeah and it uh you know like i said maintains position now when we're on this boat um you know so we took this from the columbia river all the way to that island um i feel like it was it was something like 35 days of traveling and the reason it took so long is because we're not going very fast. We're just depending on the current. We were between six and eight knots. A knot is 1.2 miles an hour. So we were probably going seven mm -hmm. or eight miles per hour. You know, so it wasn't like seeing it like if you were, you know, doing 70 on the highway or in an airplane. You know, we were going pretty, you know, uh, almost at like a jogging speed, just cruising in the ocean, but nothing around but those lights. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could have say that. I mean, I saw some a lot of fish and a lot of big schools of fish. Um, I, you know, I would have loved to witness, um, you know, a craft harvesting fish from the ocean. Yeah, didn't. But this one wasn't. This one wasn't sucking fish up. <laughs> no, no. But on the tail end of a lot of UFO stories from a pretty wild character, about as wild of a, a dude you can you can meet, um, and. You know, like I said, he'd he'd get to when we were in in port. You know, this Captain Paul would get to drinking early afternoon, and pretty soon you were going to get some tales. So we'd heard a lot of them, and then there you know it. You know, on on his boat, um, you know, we're looking at some type of UFO. Right, I just love his response. Oh yeah, I say that all the time. Why'd you wake me up? <laughs> just... Yeah, yeah, and that, and that was basically it. And we went to bed with it still up there. You know, like I was like, okay, wow. well, I got to be up, uh, you know, on watch in an hour. So I'm going to catch me, uh, you know, a little more sleep. So, um, yeah, that was going to be my be next question. Did it just disappear? Or did it fly off? But it sounds like you guys watched it as long as you could and thought, all right, it hasn't killed us yet. So I guess I'll go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, 
you know, because so and I got up like an hour later, um, you know, it's still being pretty dark. And and at that point, I think we'd had passed it. Um, you know, I, I don't remember, you know, exactly how it went. Um, it was, like I said, stationary for basically the whole time. And we watched it until we, until we went to bed. Um, you know, so I, I guess it just kind of faded. Mm. Listener George Winters has a good point. Why have I never seen a weather balloon? According to the government, they're everywhere. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've seen one. So, Dane, I have to ask you, and you know, we've, we've talked to a lot of UFO people. The lights, would you describe them in your memory? Were they blinking, pulsating, or neither? Um, no, I would say, like, you know, what do you... What what's the word like chasing? Mm, yeah, like you said on the you know, Christmas like, lights uh, that go you know, and come back, moving in a circular motion where you know green to red to like halogen to green to red to halogen type thing. Um, so uh, I mean, there there was definitely movement in the lights. Could you see a reflection in the water? Couldn't see a reflection. You know, that's you know, it, like it wasn't close. Uh, the lights weren't. I mean, they were obviously bright enough to see distinctly, but not close enough to where we, um, <clears throat> you know, where it, we felt like it could illuminate the water or, you know, illuminate us. Um, and it could be also, you know, maybe they're not that type of light, you know, where it's casting a big mm-hmm. projection, um, but, you know, but prominent and clear. You know, one thing that's come to light, no pun intended, with a lot of recent revelations from the military is encounters with USOs, so unidentified submersible objects. We're speaking to adventurer Dane Beck. Dane, did your captain ever tell you all about seeing the UFOs go into the water or come out of the water? Well, that was where he saw them. Uh, yeah, he would see them, you know, submerge from the water. Uh, oh. Or, you know, surface and submerge in and out of the water. Um, and even... Like I said, when they'd surface and they'd hover over these big schools of tuna, said almost like vacuum light or projector like would, you know, pull thousands of fish. Um, and I don't know, I guess they'd be 20 to 50 feet, you know, above the surface of the water. And these fish would just come straight up into the, I don't know, the cargo mm-hmm. area of the ship and they would go back down. Gourmand from Wild um, Kratz needs that technology. You know, yeah, you know, and this is all. You wild rats tales. won't stop me from getting my golden dinner. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. exactly a French accent, but you know, when Dane first told me about this fish revelation with the UFOs, actually, I didn't know what to make of it till tonight. And tonight, I've had an epiphany. I think I can make some sense out of why they would be harvesting fish. As we discuss an article written this week in Mysterious Universe by Brent Swanser titled Bizarre Cases of Bigfoot and Portals to Other Dimensions, which basically lays out the case for Bigfoot being an interdimensional alien being, for Bigfoot being the one piloting the UFOs, if you were. If you think, if you just shift your focus here from there being tiny green or gray beings on this UFO over the water, to the beef jerky Sasquatch <laughs> dude, and a whole herd of them now in the UFO. It kind of makes a lot of sense. They're sucking up a bunch of fish. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they get, that's a, that's, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of muscle on the, on the Sasquatch. They need a lot of protein. <laughs> They're pescatarians. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the gray race, uh, type classic alien too, you know, they've kind of got the look of some type of like carnivorous fish that would feed mm-hmm. off of, uh, you know, other fish or something. Yeah. Those are some really great stories. Thank you for sharing those with us. So different than, than what we've heard so oh, far. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and a lot of the stories, you know, about the fish and stuff were just stories told to me from mm-hmm. another guy. Um, you know, but, but he was definitely a believer. And uh, I should try to do one more deep dive to see if we can find the old Paul House. Uh, he would just be a classic interview. <laughs> Um, but, oh, uh, consider I mean, him on yes, the show if you can find him. him. Well, I, I mean, I feel, yeah, I think it's been since 2008, give or take around there. And uh, I just fell out of touch type deal. Um, he he lived pretty hard and he was probably mid 50s back then. Okay. That would be an epic reunion. As a matter of fact, we might surprise you the next time <laughs> you're on the show and just a little unexpected oh, reunion with your former captain there. <laughs> Yeah, but he was a San Diego native. Yeah, oh, San, San Diego albacore fisherman. So I tell you what, CJ and Dane, it it also makes a lot of sense. You know, there are a lot of upset people in the military right now that have had encounters with USOs, unidentified submersible objects, and we've heard from pilots, you know, that were are sent out basically in helicopters, right? And they're lowered down into the water to recover different crafts that we may have had in the water, different things, drones, what have you, submersibles, and that they've been in the water when all of a sudden our technology gets sucked down into the depths by something unknown. But not totally unknown because turns out their superiors know mm. about the things happening. And you have to wonder, right, like if we got grizzled old fishing captains that, that know this is happening out there, there's probably somebody in the military knows about it too, right? You would assume so. Oh, absolutely. They probably are the, the most educated on it. Um, but that's the age-old question is, why are they hiding it from us? Oh, yeah. And it does remind me so much, you know, it was on 60 Minutes the military pilots who relayed about the encounters with an object in the water and what Dane tells about, you know, the encounters out over the ocean and sucking the fish up into the sky and maybe even sucking fish down into the depths or what have you. It totally rings true with what our own military pilots have told us. Yeah, I mean, there's been some recent ones too, I believe. Ones caught and recorded on uh, Mm -hmm. radar. And speaking of, I I have to read this quote here, and this is a great quote and article, and everybody should check out the article, Bizarre Cases of Bigfoot and Portals to Other Dimensions. This is from paranormal researcher William Hall, and William Hall said, it used to be that the UFO people didn't talk to the ghost people because they were a little weird, and nobody would talk to the Bigfoot people because they were crazy. I found out we cannot continue to do that. In reality, Quantum physics 
is leading us there. That portals could be why we don't see any bodies, why there are no bones. I have no official opinion on it. I leave nothing off the table because there are a lot of things we find in our field work. Yeah, and that's that's why we're here, all things unexplained. Yes, absolutely. But it's so true. It's even myself, pre-doing this show, I would have not thought twice about anybody that mentioned something about Bigfoot or UFOs or who knows what. But the more I've done this show and the more I've met people, it's unreal how many people have stories to tell and how many experiences there are out there. And yeah, we can't just brush this off as crazy as he says or... You know, like, why, why are all of these people seeing things? Why are people that I know seeing things? Something is happening. Right. And it does seem to all be interconnected. To be continued. You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show depends on the support of listeners like you. To help keep us going, please be sure to visit patreon.com backslash allthingsunexplained. Our Patreon patrons get early access to podcasts as well as exclusive audio and video clips. Or you can find us on Venmo under the business accounts. Just look for at Bigfoot UFO. Additionally, you can support us at buymeacoffee.com backslash unexplained. If you can't get enough of us, go ahead and check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he wears a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained.